I'm Nana van Tolberg for Bears News. The South African government has pulled in some big legal guns for its case against Israel at the International Court of Justice. In their 84-page application, the legal team argues that it only needs to establish that some of its accusations against Israel falls under the Genocide Convention to effectively order the suspension of its military operations in Gaza. Oral arguments of the proceedings instituted by South Africa against the Israeli government will be presented in the week of the 11th of January. To find out what the South African government's chances are of success, we have political analyst at the University of Johannesburg, Professor Theo Fenter, in the studio. In the interview, he also comments on the effect that the alleged corruption in the National Student Financial Aid Scheme will have on campuses. Hi, Prof. Um, Can we just look at international relations? How would our decision to take um, Israel to the International Court of Justice affect our international relations? Formally, South Africa's foreign policy is called neutrality. But I think ever since the Ukraine incident, and now again with Gaza and Israel, I think we should change it to something like selective neutrality. we, we try to be neutral, but the bias in our neutrality is so obvious that you can barely be neutral in the case of South Africa. I mean, we tried to, uh, the, the president visited uh, Ukraine and Russia last year, but it was obvious out of the Lady R incident and a few other things that the bias is towards Moscow. It's not towards Kiev. The same with, with Israel. We are saying, that we would like peace, we, we prefer the two-state solution, this, that, the other, but the bias is towards Palestine, and it is not as if it's a hidden bias. If you read ANC policy documents, you will see at the end of every conference, the last portion of the statement by the president when the conference ends is usually where the ANC feels it's sympathetic towards, and it's usually the people of Morocco, the Polisario group, the people of Palestine is mentioned there. So it is, it, is a, it is a very, very given situation. What we've tried to take Israel to the International Court of Justice, I think is a very, very difficult uphill battle because if you look at the global definitions of genocide, it excludes political parties and cultural groups. Genocide is genocide when it is aimed towards an ethnic group or a cultural group or a historical group or a racial group or whatever. But in that definition, it excludes political parties. So if you do what Israeli Netanyahu did, saying we want to exterminate, very, very harsh words, Hamas, well, that's focused on a political party. They, I don't think, ever said that they would like to get rid of the Palestinians. Some of the right-wing guys in the Israeli cabinet has made those kind of sounds, which I think was totally, totally out of line with what they've done. But I think if you look at it in terms of um, the judicial outcome, I don't think South Africa stand a good chance. But what I do think we can gain through this thing is a little bit more moral 
pressure on the Israelis to stop the humanitarian crisis which they caused in Gaza. So, Professor Fenter, the other issue that the DA has highlighted, and they are now taking Minister Blade Nzamani to court, is student finances and what's going on at NSFAS. So, um, how does that affecting students on campuses? Yeah, that's a very interesting development. NSFAS, of course, is the national uh, fund where uh, students with needs can apply for, and then they get the funding for a for a first degree. Um, the funding mechanism has been very awkward. Each university has managed it on its own. In some cases, the universities gave to students the full amount to spend like they want to. In other cases, universities manage the funds on behalf of students, paying their class fees, their um, housing, and so on and so on. But towards the end of last year, NSFAS decided to outsource the management of student funding to four contractors. Mm-hmm. And they would like almost act like a bank. They would pay the students. That didn't work well. And what has emerged over the last month or two was that, again, very similar to the state capture issue, there's a lot of erosion of NSFAS money into hands of people that shouldn't get it. And approximately 20,000 students have not received their NSFAS payments at the end of 2023. Now, student politics is a very, very activist field in South Africa. It's young people. They are very vocal and they're very active. And um, university managements all over the country at the 26 universities are doing their level best to manage this. But if things go wrong with the funding of approximately 70% of all students, then the, 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 the outflow um, is at universities, not in Pretoria at the offices of Bladen Zemande, the Minister of Higher Education. The students will go to university managements in Pretoria, Johannesburg, Potchefstroom, Cape Town, and they'll ask, where is our money? And they will make it un- unbelievably difficult to manage those universities in terms of all kinds of of things. And that, I think, is the biggest fear at universities. And I think the opposition parties are doing the right thing to take the Minister of Higher Education um, to task and to take him to court court. or or to at least uh, ask him to account for for what um, is currently being spread around in the media, uh, interviews, tapes about, people getting uh, paybacks and, and these kind of, which is corruption, to take him to task on, on that. And I think that shows you what the opposition parties are going up to. Now, before I go to the opposition parties, let me just finish the student part. The students are part of the, um, the lowest uh, category in terms of um, registration in South Africa. Roughly after the last registration opportunity, 27 million South Africans are registered. The lowest level of registration are those under the age of 30. So although the students are very vocal, they don't register to vote. And that is one of the big problems with the EFF. They they measure quite high in surveys, up to 15% in some surveys. But when it gets to voting day, 
those guys that support them in in um, survey research can't vote right. because they haven't registered. So that's just a, a problem uh, in, in South Africa. But back to the opposition parties. The uh, opposition parties got together, um, the DA, the Freedom Front, the IFP, the ACDP, about 10 of them, uh, Action SA, and they formed a pre-election coalition. Um, now, they have a very strong view that they can give the ANC a political hiding. I think that is a little bit overstretched in terms of their expectations. In my calculation, uh, a good number or a figure for them in an election would be approximately 30 to 35% of the vote, which is already competitive. I mean, in, in, in Holland, you're a big party if you've got 31%. In Germany, you're part of the ruling coalition with 32%. Mm. But in South Africa, with a different system and, uh, and one party that has been dominant for so long, 35% is not enough. But the 35% will make it difficult for the ANC to control Gauteng as a province. It will make it difficult for the ANC to control KwaZulu-Natal as a province. And the ANC has no chance of winning the Western Cape. So that number is significant, not in terms of its national impact, but its provincial impact. Thank you, Professor Theo Venton. My pleasure, like always.